You recall many years ago, our Lord said to St. Martha, only one thing is necessary. She was complaining that her sister, Mary, was not helping with the dishes or cooking or preparing the meal and things. And we know that has a much deeper meaning than just simply one course for the meal. It has a much deeper meaning, a spiritual meaning, that only one thing is necessary, and that is the salvation of your soul. Mary hath chosen the better part, and it shall not be taken away from her. What part have you chosen? I was discussing last night with someone who is having great difficulty in their family. And I said to them, that's why I became a priest. I don't have to deal with a wife and children and things. Uh, but that's not why I became one. The one thing that is necessary is the salvation of our souls. It's not necessary to be great. It's not necessary to be noble. It's not necessary to be rich in this world. It's not necessary to enjoy uninterrupted health, but it is necessary to save your soul. The joy that I have is that you take it seriously, each and every one of you. That's why you're here. For this reason, God has placed us here, not to acquire the riches, the honors, the pleasures, but to acquire good works and thus to gain eternal salvation. The eternal kingdom which is prepared for those who, who during this present life, as we read in today's breakfast, fight against and overcome the enemies of our eternal salvation. How often have you renounced heaven by renouncing God's grace? We should be more grieved at having lost God's friendship than even having forfeited heaven. Because heaven's for us. God's friendship is for him because we love him. Of what consequence is it if a man be poor, if he be mean and firm and despised in this life, provided that in the end he dies in the state of grace and in the end he secures his salvation? Who's the winner? Who's the one pleasing to God? The more one has been afflicted with tribulations, if he suffered with them, patiently, the more he will be glorified. We read that today with Scopoli. The more he will be glorified in the kingdom of heaven. On the other hand, what does it profit a man to abound in riches, to have honors if he dies and he is lost forever? And we all share that possibility. We all can be lost. If we are lost, all the goods that we have enjoyed in this world will be remembered only to increase our misery for eternity. What are you doing with those goods that you have acquired? I'm not going to say like a certain politician, you didn't build that. You did. You've worked for it. You've, some of you've worked very hard. You used your mind. You put it to good use. You've used your back. You put it to good use. We must always ask God to enlighten us and to give us the understanding that the only evil in the world is to offend Almighty God. The only good in the world 
is to love him. We should spend the remainder of our days in the service of God. Salvation is necessary because there is no medium. You'll either save your soul or you'll lose it. It will not do to say, I shall be satisfied with not going to hell. I shall not be concerned at being deprived of heaven. If you're not concerned at being deprived of heaven, you will go to hell. Heaven is only for those who have a burning desire for it, a gusto. All creatures obey Almighty God. The heavens do. The tornadoes do, believe it or not. We've had some of, some of you have suffered greatly from tornadoes in the past month. All the earth obeys God. The sea obeys God. The elements obey God. The brute creation obeys God. While man, although he's been gifted and loved by God above all these creatures, while man obeys him not and is heedless of the loss of God's grace. When I was a little boy, believe it or not, at one time I was little, uh, we used to help out at the church. We used to go to, we had the privilege of going to mass during the summer five times a week because we lived two blocks from church. We walked there. And I remember going, my brother and I going with the priest. One day he was going to make a deposit, probably a church collection. He went to a bank and we were crossing the road in the little town of Bloomfield and uh, we were discussing whether animals knew God or not. And I presume that they did. I presume that everything knows, knows its creator. I was about seven or eight years old. I presumed everything knew its creator. But he told us, no, they don't. But man does know God. And man is heedless of whether he is in the state of grace or not. Whether he's in the friendship of our Lord or not. Let us give thanks to our Lord for having waited for us. He's waited for you. What would we ha have become of us had we died one of those nights in which we went to bed under the displeasure of God? Maybe during the day we committed a sin. God waited for us. He waited for us to be sorry. He gave us gr actual graces to be sorry. But God has patiently waited for us. And this, my dear friends, is a sign that God is desirous of pardoning us. He desires to pardon us. For our Lord to pardon us, we must be sorry for every sin committed, for having ever lost the respect which is due to the Lord. We have sinned. We did not love God. Now we must love God more than ourselves. Now we must be ready to die a thousand deaths or a thousand times rather than to again forfeit God's grace, God's friendship. God loves them who love him. We must remember that it requires a grace even to love our Lord. Even if we commit a sin, it requires a grace, an actual grace. To be sorry for that sin, it requires an actual grace to love Almighty God. I would ask that you consider the merciful chastisements of God. God, being infinite goodness, desires only our good and to communicate to us 
his happiness. When he chastises us, it's because we have obliged him to do so. Hence, the prophet Isaiah says that on such occasion, he does a work foreign to his desires. It is said that it is the property of God to have mercy and to spare, to dispense his favors and to make all happy. That is part of the nature of God. It is God's infinite goodness, which we so often offend and despise when we provoke him to chastise us. How is it that we can so often offend his infinite goodness? I had a discussion with a dear friend a month or two or three ago. This individual thought that uh, the children were being given too much religion, that it's turning them off of religion. I greatly disagreed with him. And I said, we want to burn with the love of God. You don't remove the opportunities of grace and expect the person to love God more. You remove the opportunities of grace and they love God less because they have less protection from the elements, so to speak, from the temptations of the world. Let us therefore understand that when God threatens us, it's not because he desires to punish us, because, but because he wishes to deliver us from punishment. He threatens because he has compassion upon us. Parents do the same. They don't want their kids hurt. And so they threaten them, you stay away from that stove or I'm going to spank you. You do this or that or I'm going to punish you in this way. Because the parents don't want their kids, you come in before midnight because I don't want you driving out when it's two in the morning, you're sleeping tired and have a wreck. If you don't, you're not going to take the car out again. Parents threaten their kids if they love them. They do it in a kind way. They make sure that the kids know that they love them. They never do it with anger and a raised voice. We read in Isaiah, O God, thou hast been angry, and thou hast had mercy upon us. He is angry with us and threatens us with mercy. Still, still quoting Isaiah. He shows himself angry towards us in order that, that we may amend our lives. God bless you and that we may be able to pardon and save he, that he may be able to pardon and save us hence if in this life he chastises us for our sins he does so in mercy for by doing so he frees us from eternal woe how unfortunate then is the sinner who escapes the just the punishments in this life if we escape the punishments in this life we will dearly pay for it in the next life it is much easier to make restitution for our sins now while we are directed by the love of God than to make reparation later while we suffer under the justice of God. Since we have so much offended God, we should ask for chastisements in this life. 
so that we may be spared in the next. I know that I have certainly deserved hell. I must therefore accept all kinds of pain that God may reinstate me in his grace and deliver me from hell, where I should be forever separated from God. These are the words of St. Alphonsus. Pray for enlightenment, dear men. Pray for strength to overcome every obstacle to God's law. And we must remember that he who makes no account of the divine threats God gives to us ought to fear greatly the chastisements threatened. We read in the book of Proverbs, the man with a stiff neck despises him that reproves him and suddenly be destroyed and health shall not follow him. That is the man with the stiff neck. Bend your necks in humility when God punishes you or takes something away from you. Bend your necks in humility. The sacred scriptures warn that a sudden death shall overtake him that despises God's warnings. And he shall have no more time to avoid eternal destruction. Death will come upon these individuals quickly. This has happened to many. And we indeed have deserved the same should happen to us. That God has shown mercy towards us that he's not shown to many others. Why is it that you are here? It's a pain for some of you. It's an act of mortification for others. Perhaps a few of you enjoy it, but you've been selected and chosen to hear words that millions of others are not hearing, to consider and to ponder truths that millions of others do not know exist. He has certainly shown mercy to us, which he has not shown to many others. And many others have offended him less frequently than you and I. Many others who are now suffering in hell. You know there's souls in hell, the fathers tell us, the fathers of the church. There are souls in hell who have, who have committed one mortal sin. One mortal sin. It's scary for me because St. John Chrysostom, very tough guy, he says a priest who commits a single mortal sin, it's hardly possible for him to save his soul. There are souls in hell who have committed one mortal sin, who are now suffering in hell without the least hope of ever being able to regain God's favor. God desires your salvation, and you must also desire it that you may be pleasing to him. You must renounce in spirit everything. You must turn yourself towards him. That's what sin is, is the turning one away from God. We must convert, turn back towards God. He is our God, he's our only good. We must be exceedingly displeased with ourselves when we do evil. Don't get angry at yourself. Don't fall into despair. But be displeased at the evil that we've done against Almighty God. And we should rather wish to suffer every evil than offend God, like Job did. Suffer me not any more to depart from thee. 
rather let me die than offer thee so great an injury. St. Alphonsus reminds us that all of our hope is placed in God and in his Blessed Mother. I would like to talk to you about the patience of God, especially with sinners. That should appeal to each of us, because we can see ourselves in the position of that sinner. The more we have experienced those patient mercies of God, the more we ought to be afraid of continuing to abuse them, lest the time of God's vengeance takes over. He is the one who says, Revenge is mine, and I will repay thee in due time. Revenge is mine. God will put an end to his forbearance towards those who do not cease to abuse that forbearance. The Lord has patiently borne with us, though we have so often betrayed him. Let us be sensible of that evil that we have done by abusing the patience of God for such a long time. We call that forbearance when you tolerate and put up with folly, evils of others. It's forbearance. The devil tells us, commit this sin and you can afterwards confess it. These are the tricks of the devil, which he uses to draw <coughs> souls to hell. Many Christians are now in hell, have been lost by this trickery, this delusion. The Lord waits that he may show mercy to us. He waits for the sinner that the sinner may be converted. He waits for the sinner that the sinner may obtain mercy. But when God sees that the time which he allows for the sinner to do penance is employed only to increase the number of his offenses, he then waits no longer and punishes the sinner as he deserves. Now, God has counted your sins. He knows how many sins you committed since you gained the use of reason. We must now seek God's pardon and not delay. Delay leads to hell. There will come a time when God will no longer have patience upon the sinner, the one who has offended him so grievously. I have the word too grievously here. I don't know that we can ever offend God not grievously or not, not too grievously. It is merciful of the Lord that we're not consumed. And because his mercies have not failed, as we read in the scriptures. These are the sentiments of one who realizes his sinful inclinations. And then we're going to make a difference. We're going to make a change. And we're going to make an effective and efficacious change. We should be most grateful to God for not having us to suffer death in our sins. And we should be most careful not to offend him again. Otherwise, the Lord will reproach the sinner saying, What more could I have done for my vineyard and I have not done? On the contrary, he will say, ungrateful soul, if thou hast committed the same offense against man who is viler than the earth, truly he would not have borne with thee. 
to insult your friends. I think we're inclined, I know I am, and I have to watch it. We're inclined to just cut them off, especially as we get into older age. We think we don't need that friend. If he's going to talk to me that way, she's going to do that to me, or whatever the case, just avoid them. That's our inclination. How great mercies I have exercised towards thee. How many times have I called thee? How many times have I enlightened thee? How many times have I pardoned thee, God says to the sinner. The time of punishment is at hand. The time of forgiveness is past. Thus has God spoken to many who are now suffering in hell. For one of their greatest torments is the remembrance of the mercies God showed to them. We have also merited to hear the same pronouncement from God's holy mouth. But we've heard God call us to pardon. Adam, where art thou? The kind voice of one who desires our company. Holy Week, many of you attend those ceremonies. Some of you sing them. You sing the Lamentations. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, convert to the Lord. Be converted to the Lord thy God, we read in sacred scripture. Sin causes us to lose God. You must ask the question, how much do you abhor sin? How much do you detest sin? Or do you think it's funny? Do you think it's cute? When someone says, especially we get this with teenage boys, do you think it's cute when somebody says something inappropriate? We must turn our whole self towards God, our, our good. Let us pray to the Lord for perseverance and Mary to impart that grace to us. Perseverance is a grace which you cannot merit. It's one of the few graces you can't merit. It's a free gift of Almighty God. And it is only given to those who ask for it. Our Lady promises that with the scapular. She promises it in particular with the miraculous medal that in, the, in your death she will give you the grace of final perseverance. And so it's necessary or profitable to, wear, to use these sacramentals. I want to shortly consider death in the passage to eternity. It is a faith, the Catholic faith, that your soul is immortal and that one day when you least think of it, you will leave the world. You ought therefore to make provisions for this departure, for yourself, which will not fail with this life, but will be eternal even as you are eternal. Provisions that will be eternal. Give instruction to your family that masses be said. Give instruction. You know, one guy I respect the, very much in New York, he has cheated me. He gave me a rosary, a real nice rosary. Now, every time I pick up that rosary, I think of him and pray for him. He gave that to me 10 years ago. Every time I pick up that rosary, I think this, this guy gave me that rosary. I'm going to say some prayers for him, okay? For 10, 20, maybe $100. He gets a lot of prayers for 10 years. That's cheating. That's cheating in, this, in a sense that he's getting these favors that nobody else reminds me every day to pray for them. There are many who do ask, and I ask it of you in confession and things to pray for me. This is a great man. This is one who, in New York, encourages the men of the parish 
to make the yearly retreats. I was walking over to get my glasses a few moments ago. I had the thought of Dr. Richter, not Lichter, Richter. About 20, about 30 years ago, we had a facility in Cincinnati called the Bosco House. And you get teenage boys, 15 or 20 of them together, playing sports and things. There's always injuries. There's always injuries. One boy had hurt his knee. I think it was a Saturday afternoon or so. How many doctors are open on Saturday afternoons? Well, I called uh, Cincinnati Sports Medicine or something, got an appointment, took the boy in. The doctor walked into his office. There's religious pictures all over the place. It's, uh, it's apparent that he's a devout man. He's about 60. I'm about 30, 40 at the time. He's about 60. And we got to talking about religion. Conservative, conservative Noah, so a decent, good man. And he says every year he goes on retreat. I thought, he's a doctor. And he makes time every year to take care of his soul as he takes care of the bodies of others. What a good man. What a good man. I've told his story several times. That's the end of the story. But it so impressed me that back then, before we even began retreats, in this area of the Society of St. Pius V, uh, he was going on a yearly retreat. He saw the importance of it. A man who helped others, remembered that he has to help himself. It is a faith that your soul is immortal and that one day you're going to leave the world and that you must make provisions. Great things were done here in their lifetimes by Alexander, uh, they called him the Great, by Caesar, and many others. But for how many ages past have their glories ceased? Where are they now? Are they in heaven? It's possible. They didn't have the Catholic faith to help them, as you and I had. What now remains for us? After so many years we've spent, perhaps in sin, but trouble and remorse of conscience. God has allowed each one of you a special grace we call it time. Time to repair the evil which you have done, and you must be ready to perform whatever God requires of you. I once had a priest talk to me about how unhappy he was in the priesthood. He saw the work that we do, and he said, I wish I could be happy like you are. Well, it hasn't always been easy for us either. But you have to make yourself happy. You have to remind yourself what God wants of you, what your vocation is, why he has called you, and you, many of you are fathers. And you have children and concerns and worries. You should spend the remainder of your days bewailing your ungrateful conduct towards God by loving him with all your power. doesn't matter what your sins were. They were. They're not are. It doesn't matter what your sins were. God forgives them if you are sorry and gives you great hope of eternal salvation. What will it avail us to have been happy in this world if hereafter we are miserable forever in eternity? What folly is it to know that we must die and an eternity either of happiness or misery awaits us after death and that upon dying ill or well, 
depends our miserable or happy life forever. And yet, not adopt every means in our power to secure a good death. Marry a good woman if you haven't gotten married and you plan to be married. Marry a good woman. Rub elbows with good friends. Friends are priceless. Especially friends that will help you in your death. I'll mention a few names here because I'm only saying good things about them. We had a retreatant here a year, four or five years ago who has since died of cancer. She was taken care of by another lady who didn't know her but for a year. And she spent all the last 72 or more hours with her at, at her death. That is what true friendship is. They didn't share a lot of pleasantries in this life. They didn't enter into each other's circle much. But when it came time for death, a true friend came forward. Let us ask the Holy Ghost to enlighten and strengthen us to live always in God's grace until the hour of our departure. Let us be sensible of the evil that we have done and, let, and ask God to give you a detestation for it. God alone is worthy of being loved and we must love him above all things. You know it, men, that all things in this life must end, and they will end at our burial. The shadow of death will cover us over and obscure all the grandeur and splendor of this world. Only then can he be happy who serves God in this world and by loving and serving God acquire eternal happiness. We must be sorry at this point for having made so little account of God's love. We must love him above all things. We must despise everything that is opposed to God. We must desire nothing but what is of God. He must be the sole object of your love. He is our all. He is our only inheritance. Believe it or not, some of your sons and grandsons are pious little boys. When they put on their surplices at Mass, there's a prayer that we encourage them to pray. It's a prayer which acknowledges God as their only inheritance. And that is, that is a great truth. He is our only inheritance. God love you and God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.